in a lot of things, there's no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You have to put in the work. You have to grow it organically. And you can enhance things along the way. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. I am with my co-host on Follow Along Fridays, Theo Hicks. Theo, what's your favorite color? Blue today. Okay, cool. <laughs> I ask you that because I always say, how you doing? You're like, great, Joe. And then it's like, I roll right into it. I wanted to throw you a change up today. This is the show where we get to the best real estate investing advice ever. We cut out all the fluff that you might hear in other real estate platforms. But here, no fluff, baby. And today, since it's Friday, it's a special segment. And we're going to talk about what we got going on in our entrepreneurial endeavors and answer your questions that you have. So if you are watching this via Facebook Live, then... Feel free to submit questions below, and we will either get to them on this episode or most likely another episode because this one's jam packed. How are we going to structure this one today? Full play today. So we've got we're going to talk about five different things. First, we're going to talk about what Tim Ferriss refers to as from his book Tool of Titans. I think he calls it a thousand true fans, but Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about two thousand true fans, quote unquote. But well, Joe has a little twist on that, and then we're going to transition into talking about how and why. You want to send your private money investors monthly email updates when you're doing your deals. And how to structure them. And how to structure the emails, yeah. yeah. What to say and what's important to include every month. And then from that, we're going to transition into what we've learned by trying to buy an email list. Yep. And then Absolute <laughs> disaster. We'll talk about that a little bit. <laughs> then we're going to talk about goals and a concept called 50-50 goals, which we'll get into in more detail. And then finally, we're going to end with a question about raising rents for an apartment community. So, and that question was submitted... On YouTube. On YouTube. All right, cool. 
All right, so first thing you mentioned was the 2000 fan thing. And you have Tools of Titans. I do. And I have the book Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Best ever listeners, you should have Tools of Titans, the book by Tim Ferriss. And in the book, there's a chapter... I forget whose interview is profiled. No, I can't remember either. No, okay. But he says that being generally famous is overrated because it's more of a liability than an asset. If everyone knows your name, everyone knows who you are, there's more downside than upside. And if you think about it, it's true. Unless maybe you're a movie star or... A performer in some way. I think there might be some exceptions, but for most of us, that's true. And instead of being generally famous, it's more important to be selectively famous to two to three thousand of the most highly targeted individuals. And when I read that, it immediately clicked for mm-hmm. me. And I emailed a couple of my team members, Theo, one of them, and some others, and I said, here's our target audience, our primary target audience. And this is actually going to be really helpful for any best ever listeners who's raising money because I'm about to tell you who my primary target audience is. And these are the two to 3,000 people that will help my business grow the most. Therefore, I want to focus our efforts on that. And that is 35 to 65-year-old males. Now, we have about 30% females listening to this from the audience And I'm all about targeting females as well, but the reality is when I look at my investor list that 95% of them are males that I work with. Now, I have a couple really large female investors, but primarily, I'm just going by numbers, just data, Mm -hmm. 90 plus percent easy are males. And 90 plus percent are within the ages of 35 to 65. And... The majority of them live in or very close to a large city, and they are either business owners, C-suite executives, doctors, or real estate investors who were active but want to be passive Mm -hmm. because they're done with it. And the last part is a bit generic because it's a lot of the population. They're either business owner, executive, doctor, or real estate investor who wants to be passive. But that's true. That's when I'm looking at the investors who have invested in our deals, that's who they are. So after reading that, the laser focus is on that target audience. And the one outcome from that was I am getting a page on my website called investwithjoe.com. It's being built right now because I realized, holy cow, That's my target audience. That's who we work with the most. But there's nothing when they go to our website that actually says, hey, person who is perfect to partner with us and accredited, by the way, they have to be accredited. Hey, person who's perfect to be partnering with us. Here's the page just for you. And therefore, in about a week and a half to two weeks, when you go to investwithjoe.com, it will be a landing page just for those individuals that I'm referring to. Now, again, disclaimer, people outside of what I just said, so females, people who are 70 years old or 25 years old, people who don't have the occupations I mentioned, yes, I've partnered in some capacity with a lot of people on my deals, but they're all accredited and 
primarily that's the target audience. And it's actually refreshing Mm -hmm. because now it's not a matter of, okay, let's look to see how many videos, views we have on YouTube, how many emails have we gathered, how many downloads do we get of the podcast. It's more about who are we attracting Mm. because it's better to be selectively famous within two to 3,000 of the individuals I just described than to be generally famous to everyone, have our show on a billboard somewhere, and waste money and get leads that aren't qualified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. you mentioned I thought it was interesting because you kind of put your own little twist on it. Because the original post about 1,000 True Fans, he's basically saying that you want to maybe make a product, whatever your product is, if it's ten dollars and you and it's like maybe it's a month some sort of monthly product and it's ten dollars and you sell it to a, I think a thousand people that's ten thousand people a month which is one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year which is plenty of money to live off of so why would you focus on hitting millions and millions of people and maybe having them purchase it maybe one month or two mm-hmm. months to having your one thousand people that you buy your ten dollar a month product but then they like you so much mm-hmm. and they're such a big follower of yours maybe they'll buy your ten thousand dollar seminar mm-hmm. or some sort of video series or consulting program you have out. Mm-hmm. So I like how you've kind of taken it and be like, well, you can use this for anything. Whatever business you're doing, whatever thought leadership platform you have, mm-hmm. you can do the exact same concept. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. That's absolutely true. So thank you, Tim Ferriss. Thank you for putting together Tools of Titans, and thank mm-hmm. you for doing those interviews. And thank you to whoever you interviewed, whose name we can't remember, in the book, and who mentioned this in the book. If you use Google 1,000 True Fans, it's based on a blog post, I believe. Well, but these are two separate things. 1,000 True Fans is an article that was written and has been since updated because Tim talks about it a lot. Yeah. But separately, he interviewed someone on his podcast, and it's in the back portion of the book. Mm-hmm. And this individual talked about how not to be generally famous, but be selectively okay. famous of two to 3,000 people. And it's a different person from okay. who authored 1,000 True Fans, but similar concept. I'm going to look it up and in the YouTube video and then the show notes of the podcast, we'll put the name down there. Sweet. So give him credit. Okay, so that's a 2,000, uh, being famous 2,000 people. Next, we're going to transition into talking about monthly investor emails. Monthly investor emails. I, I'm going to get my laptop out for this because I'm going to list out the outline that we put together for our monthly emails to investors in our deals. And just before I go through the outline of what should be included, a little bit of context, Mm -hmm. a major complaint that accredited investors have when investing in a real estate deal is that there's lack of communication. Because real estate investors tend to get caught up in the deal And having the deal perform, which is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to communicate along the way so that at the end of the deal, when it is successful, the investors want to invest with you again. And at our conference in Denver last February, I remember a accredited investor who was doing a presentation. And he said it was a great investment, but I didn't hear from the group for like three, four months at a time. And at the end, we made a lot of money, but I would never invest with them again. Mm. Remember that? Remember when Jeremy Roll said Mm -hmm. that? So I had already been doing monthly emails to investors on all the deals, and Theo helps out with that too. So we've been tag-teaming this now, and so this is a great topic for us to talk about. So that's the reason why we do monthly emails. It's not typical. It's more typical to do quarterly reports. Mm -hmm. 
but it's nice to be in front of investors, letting them know what's going on at the property. And sometimes it's not a whole lot because ideally real estate is boring. That's the ideal because if real estate's boring, then time is on our side, paying down the mortgage, ideally increasing the value and cash flowing along the way. So here's the structure that we have for monthly emails. And before I go into that, we do monthly and quarterly The monthly emails are slightly different from quarterly Mm -hmm. emails. So the monthly emails I'm about to describe, and then the quarterly emails I'll describe, it's just a little addition to it. So monthly email, it will have the occupancy and pre-leased occupancy. So we'll list out Mm -hmm. what's the occupancy at and what's it pre-leased at. So the people who are on tap to live at the property. We'll also have the renovation update. For all of our deals, we do a renovation of the units, increase rents, and improve the property aesthetics from an exterior standpoint as well. And therefore, it is an update that says how many have been renovated in total since we've bought it. And sometimes we'll provide pictures of the renovated units Maybe a new monument sign out front, new landscaping. So it's renovations, interior and exterior. Then are the rents of the renovated units reaching the premium that we projected? That's really important. What type of premium are we getting? Are we flat at exactly what we thought we'd get? Are we a little bit under for maybe it's a seasonal thing because people are not moving in as much and so we have to go a little bit under to make sure occupancy stays healthy? Mm -hmm. Are we a lot over and why? And then any other improvement projects that we've done. So if we built carports, for example, and we're charging X amount of dollars for those carports, how many we built, if we've painted, whatever. And then we'll have miscellaneous updates like if there's Halloween and there's a Halloween party, or this is a good one too, if there's an employer that announced that they're coming into the local area, which is happening a lot, fortunately for us in Dallas-Fort Worth right now, if there's any major announcements from a development standpoint, anything like that, we'll include a link to that article. Mm -hmm. And that will be the update. Now, every month doesn't have all of those things I just mentioned. But ideally, it has most of those things every single month that we mentioned. For example, we might not have pictures of renovations because we sent those pictures when the renovation started. So they'll need to see the same pictures of different units over and over again. Mm -hmm. And clearly, there's seasonal stuff. But that's the structure for the monthly email. The information that we get for this email, we get that from the property manager? Yes, the information that we get, we get from the property manager or the regional manager, depending on how the management company is set up. So for these emails, you want to email them on the first of the month. Mm -hmm. If you plan on sending them out in the middle of the month, if you plan on sending them out at the end of the month, email in the middle of the month. That way you're not rushing the deadline to throw the emails together. So it takes time to get all this information together from the property manager into your email. So make sure you do that. Yes, that is a lesson we learned last month. (laughs) I was in Miami meeting with investors on a Friday, which was the 14th, I believe. And Theo was in Asheville, North Carolina, hiking. And we were scrambling a bit to get all the investor emails sent out because we didn't prepare Mm -hmm. in time to get it done prior. We have eight properties at this point that we're sending updates on. So it, it does take a while. And 
one lesson that I learned along the way regarding timing is I used to send them out by the 7th of the month and then it would just take a little bit longer for month end stuff to wrap up and now we've set expectations that it will be sent out by the 14th of every month but our internal goal moving forward after last month Mm -hmm. where we were scrambling is to send it out by the 10th and then that way we have four days cushion if something unexpected happens I think the only other thing that I can think of that I've learned so far is that when you're actually structuring these emails, some of this information is kind of like we have out in bullet point form. And so whatever is like the best thing that's happening in that property, make sure you put that in the introductory paragraph of whatever you're sending the email. So they start with something good and make sure you also end with something good either. So if you feel like some sort of incident in the property, you don't want that to be the last thing or the first thing the investor said, you want to put that in the middle. Yeah, that's just something called recency bias. Mm-hmm. It's proven. It's a psychological thing where at the end, especially if you read something really, really good at the beginning and then pretty good in the middle and then there's an incident at the property and you put that at the very end, even though that is completely insignificant relative to the overall property, if you end it on that, then the recency bias was yeah. proven that they're going to have a bad taste in their mouth about the whole update when in reality that was 3% of the whole picture and 97% of it is doing phenomenal. That's why restaurants give you dessert last. Mm. Get that sugar rush in there. I, I want it first and last. <laughs> <laughs> great experience at the beginning and great experience at the end. Okay, cool. And then the quarterly thing, the only tweak to quarterly updates is that will include the profit and loss statement of the property and the current rent roll. That way investors can see that. And we offer the detailed financials at any point in time that they want to look at it, but we send it out on a quarterly basis so they have access to it. And the only thing I can think of to add to this is just to get a little bit more technical about it, but we use MailChimp. That's the service we use. And then for all these images and all these links, you don't want to put screenshots of these pictures or the screenshots of the P&L statements in the actual email. You want to have like a link and then link it to... Dropbox or whatever other service you use. Mm-hmm. That way the email's not super long. Yeah, it's nice and compact. Uh, and since we're getting technical about this, the header image is of mm-hmm. the monument sign, so the main sign out front of the apartment community. And in the bottom right-hand corner of the header image, we always have the company, the Ashcroft Capital logo. Mm-hmm. That way it's included in there, and all we do is we just go into PowerPoint and group the image with the logo, group that together, save it, and then upload that image to be the main dominant image for every update. Mm-hmm. I think you get everything for the investor email. So, oh, one other thing real quick. Sometimes we'll do monthly payments to investors. Other times we'll do quarterly payments. So obviously if it's quarterly, in the quarterly update we'll mention the amount that they will receive and by when. And then if it's monthly, we don't really need to mention every single month that they're getting a payment or distribution. We'll just mention at the beginning of the distributions what we're on track for, and then if that changes, then we'll let them know. Mm -hmm. So transitioning, also this has to do with the emails, but also this kind of plays into the the 2,000 true fans versus just having that shotgun approach, trying to collect as many names and emails as possible, is email lists. And we recently tried (laughs) to buy an email list, and it didn't go very well. No, it didn't. It's a big belly flop is what happened. Paid $3,000 for 60,000 emails. So, while back up, 
it's clear that the larger the email list, the larger your influence and your community grows. And having an actively engaged email list, it's right up there with a podcast. I don't know which one I'd rather have. If someone says, would you rather have 100,000 listeners to your podcast every day or would you rather have 100,000 actively engaged people on an email list? I'm not sure. That's how powerful it is. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask me 100,000 YouTube subscribers, screw YouTube subscribers. (laughs) I'd rather have either 100,000 email people or podcast listeners. I'm not sure which one I'd pick between the two, but those are the two most important things I've identified through testing and my marketing background, etc. So because we've got the podcast thing down, but the email thing, I have a goal of getting, what was it, 30,000 email subscribers in my database. And I think we're at 5,000 or so, right, four or 5,000. And the open rate is really good. It's 25% yeah. or so on average. And the click-through rate is incredibly high too. I think it's like 3% for the emails we send out. So we have a really engaged and high-quality email list. And so I was like, all right, let's 10x this thing, right? I've read about 10xing. And there's the one thing we talked about before about, okay, this is your 12-month goal. How can you accomplish it in one month? So I did a brainstorm. I was like, we can accomplish this thing in one month because I'm just going to buy a freaking email list, 60,000 emails, convert 10,000 of them, Mm -hmm. 20,000 of them, a third, and that will be it. That will be done. Well, paid $2,000 for the email list, paid $1,000 to a company that is sending them out on our behalf, and it's just a database email company. So I believe it's on the up and up. I mean, they've been on ABC News being interviewed on their business and how it's good and blah, blah, blah. Well... We got out of 60,000 emails that were sent out, 60,000 emails, we got one opt-in. One. One opt-in. One single opt-in out of 60,000 emails. And so clearly a bunch of bad emails. Clearly it went to spam with a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And clearly this freaking does not work at all. What a waste of $3,000. But is it a waste? I'm going to catch myself because I trained myself not to think of things as a complete waste. What are the lessons learned? The lessons learned so far is that in a lot of things, there's no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You have to put in the work. You have to grow it organically. And you can enhance things along the way. For example, we have a team that is optimizing the opt-ins of each of our pages on the website. I don't think you know about mm-hmm. that. But... I hired, it was actually someone who I interviewed on the podcast, and he said his team optimizes your website so that the people who go to your website are more likely to opt in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're paying him $1,500 a month, and they're optimizing page by page the website, and they said their goal is to get 50 additional opt-ins a month, okay. which is small potatoes, but going back to what we were talking about earlier... 2,000 to 3,000 people is really, we only need that many. Mm-hmm. For the deals that we're buying, they're fully subscribed. And one of them, it's been taking a little while, but it's going under contract, hopefully today. But it's already subscribed. So I can't imagine what will happen when the emails grow to more. 
because we already have more investors than we have deals. Yeah. So complete belly flop, lesson learned, and that's the story. And you're saving best ever listeners twenty five hundred bucks too. Yeah, I don't (laughs) recommend. Yeah, so I'm officially taking the stance that I do not recommend buying email lists from email databases, albeit reputable email databases, according to the research my team and I did. I don't recommend doing it. It was a disaster. But lesson learned, and, well, we keep moving on. Exactly. All right. Speaking of moving on, let's move on to the next topic. 50-50 goals. 50-50 goals. This is something that it will be a game changer for every best ever listener who sets goals, which I hope everyone does. Let me tell you the problem first, and then I'll tell you why this is the solution. The problem is that I set aggressive goals, and I also set aggressive goals for our team members, Theo included, and others. And the problem with aggressive goals is that if you don't accomplish the quantifiably aggressive goal, then there's a feeling of letdown and a failure. We all know there's no failure, it's just feedback, but... More to the point, instead of having a goal being dependent on if you achieve it or not, that is a specific thing, now we approach it, half of that, 50% of that is actually achieving it. But the other 50% is have you identified or what have you identified that will help you and the business get better results in the long run through this goal process. So, for example... Let's use the email thing. The goal is to have 30,000 emails in the next 12 months in our database. And this month, because that was the goal, it was to have 7,866 emails by the end of this month. We're not going to get that. Mm -hmm. And so that was 50% of it. But the other 50% is what have we learned that we can apply towards the long game? Because we're in this for the long run. And when we do that, then we feel a sense of accomplishment. And then we're able to actually improve the business from a long game standpoint. Because we're in this for decades, not months or not a year or two. And that makes us, myself included and team members, feel a lot better about accomplishing or not accomplishing goals. Because we all know it's we're better off in the long run because we went through this exercise. So the 50-50 goal is what we're doing from now on. And it's simply 50% of the success with the goal is achieving it. And then 50% of it is identifying what you've learned that will help the business in the long run. It kind of reminds me of a, a concept that the, I guess he's a cartoonist, Dilbert, a Dilbert cartoonist, Scott Adams is his name, wrote his book. And he talks about systems thinking versus goal thinking and mm-hmm. that when you're trying to pursue something. So I'll use the example of podcasts. That's what resonates with me the most. You're making a podcast and your goal is to get X amount of listeners, X amount of downloads, or do this many podcasts per week. And let's say after a year, you don't reach your actual number. Assuming you continue to do it, that year you're going to learn so much about how to do a podcast, like the actual system of how to actually create a podcast, of how to you know structure the podcast, how to record it, how it all works. But even if you quit completely you still had a system of how to speak better how to mm. structure presentations and they're all different systems that you can use for essentially anything that you do in life so i think that and 50 50 goals are very very similar in terms of obviously you want to actually accomplish that goal 
but in the actual pursuit of it, you're learning something that if you look at it as a complete failure, you might not necessarily take that new system with you. You might throw it all away and start fresh, but if you tell yourself, hey, maybe I didn't reach my podcast goal, maybe I didn't reach my newsletter goal, but I learned how to write better in my mm-hmm. newsletter. I learned how to speak better by doing a podcast, and obviously everyone can benefit from speaking and writing yeah. better. I love that. Yeah. It reminds me of when I work with some of my clients and they start their own podcast and they're also having investor conversations. The longer they do a podcast that's interview-based where they're asking questions to their interview guests, the better they become at investor conversations because the initial inclination people have is when they talk to an investor is to actually talk a lot. Well, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be talking a lot. You should be listening and hearing what their goals are, hearing what success looks like for them, where haven't they had success in investing if they haven't, and then aligning what they're focused on with what you've got and assuming that it makes sense, talking to them about what you're doing. And the more you ask questions, the more you interview people, the better you are at asking questions in other situations. And the better you are at ultimately closing more deals. Yeah, exactly. The podcast is a really good example just because even if you don't even show it to anyone, if you just had the conversation with someone or just do it by yourself, but you're still actually doing the process and you're learning how to speak better. And again, Mm -hmm. for me personally, the biggest thing that I realized when I started podcasting, because I did mine solo, there's like a disconnect between what actually the thoughts in my head and me saying them out loud. So I can't like articulate what I'm thinking in my head. And so once I realize that, I know it just totally helped me have better conversations with mm-hmm. just people in general, but also with the po- with, you know, doing this podcast and talking with some clients and mm-hmm. things like that. So Yeah, good stuff. The last part, maybe a question, I think it'll be a pretty quick answer. It's from a YouTube comment. So you can also ask questions on our, we also post this video on our YouTube channel and you can ask questions there. Just Google Joe Fairless YouTube to find that. But the question is from Jeffrey. He says, hey, what are ways to raise rents when implementing trash collection for every resident in a 375-unit community. So I guess the way I look at this is he wants to input a trash collection service which costs more money, so how does he raise rents to cover that? Is that what the question is? I don't know what the question is. <laughs> I think that's what the I question is. I have a hard time following. Okay, repeat it one more time, please. So the exact question is, what are ways to raise rents when implementing trash collection for every resident in a 375-unit community? Okay. So he wants to raise rents by implementing trash collection. First off, can you raise rents based on the market and the market comps? That's the first thing. And by he's saying raise rents through trash, really it's how can you increase your revenue either by raising rents and having trash collection included in that or by having a separate fee Mm -hmm. that residents have to pay for trash collection. Either one of those two, you still got to look at what's the competition doing and what will the market bear so that you know if residents will pay for that extra increase in rent to have their trash collection included or an incremental fee. So that's the main answer to his question. In addition to that, there are services that will offer, and we actually just bought a property, a 314-unit property in Dallas that had door-side trash collection. Mm. And they charged... to the resident. All the resident had to do was put the trash outside of the door, which isn't 
the best when you're walking around the community because you just got trash outside people's doors. <laughs> but you put your trash outside the door and they've got a service, a third-party service that comes, picks up the trash, takes away, no must, no fuss. They don't have to go walk to a dumpster. And that was a, a revenue-generating fee because they charged the resident 15 bucks, but it cost them 10 bucks mm, to actually no. pay for the service. Therefore, they're making $5 per unit on that. And the reason why they did it is because this property, it's a concrete jungle. I mean, there's really no green area. And we talked about this property already on the show. So there's not a lot of room for dumpsters. Okay. And it's really tight. And if there was a dumpster, it would have been right next to someone's window. I mean, so it made sense that this property, but even better, able to make money on it per unit. Or you can just do a fee and you got a dumpster, dumpsters, and you charge whatever the market will bear for it. And that's a fee on top of the rent. Perfect answer. We have one more question that came in via Facebook Live. Does your minimum buy-in amount vary per deal? No, not as of yet, but it might in the future. So someone's asking for a deal that you have, do you change the minimum amount that investors have to invest in order to be in the deal? How I approach it, and it could change, is 50000 if you're a first-time investor in a deal and 25000 if you're a returning investor. And that likely will go up in the future. But as far as has that changed from previous deals, no, but it will likely go up in the future where bringing in new investors will be 100. I'm interviewing Carlos Baz, Baz in the next couple of weeks. He's a big-time multifamily syndicator and investor based in Dallas-Fort Worth. And then you go to his website, the minimum for new investors is $500,000. So I see that eventually going towards mm. increasing, but as of now, it's 50000 first time, twenty five if you're a returning investor. All right, Andrew, thank you for the question. Sweet. Well, best ever listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you haven't subscribed, then shame on you. You've got to subscribe to the show, not only in iTunes, but also in YouTube. And in case you missed it, we have the transcription of this episode and every episode for the last month or so and every episode moving forward at bestevershow.com. So if you want the transcription of this and you just want to look at the notes, then you can go there at bestevershow.com and look that up. Theo, where can the Best Ever listeners get in touch with you? Theohicks.org is where I post my weekly podcast. Sweet. All right. Talk to you soon, my friends. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Finally, your funding problem is 100% solved at CIX.com. At CIX.com, private lenders compete to fund deals. CIX facilitates over half a billion in loans for real estate investors weekly. Get funded and download your free funding kit at CIX.com.